renew our strength. And I believe that as we do that, if we truly, truly open our hands wide and we just say, God, whatever you want, we trust you, we put our eyes on you. When we do that, he will, he will come and renew our strength. He will encourage us. He will take the broken things and he will make them beautiful. Welcome to church this morning. You did what the world said you couldn't do and you braved the half inch of rain that we've seen so far this morning and you made it to church. Aren't you glad to be here? Would you wave with someone across the room? Let them know you're glad they're here.
on, don't you know there's no one like our God, amen? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord?
for from you are all things. Into you are all things. Oh, you deserve the glory. Can we lift our hands and sing this? You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Yes, you are. For from you Sing this out again.
hallelujah we worship you Lord we worship you we worship you we worship you glory to Jesus glory to Jesus you are worthy of it all hallelujah all of the glory all of the honor all of the praise unto you O Lord we magnify the holy name of Jesus we glorify the holy name of Jesus hallelujah hallelujah our Savior our Redeemer our Glory to your name, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be your name, blessed be your mighty name, blessed be your holy name, blessed be your healing name, blessed be your delivering name. <laughs> oh, we magnify you, we magnify you, hallelujah. 
to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes when I am worshiping the Lord, not just in church, but wherever, I have become in recent years so aware that we are not alone. You know, the Bible says, I think it's in Ephesians, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of who the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. We are one family in both heaven and earth. And then, oh geez, I forget where it is. I think it's Philippians, but anyway. It says, uh, the great cloud, I forget the fused words, but uh, there's a great cloud of witnesses. Okay, Beth Webb version, I'm just gonna say it. I'm not gonna try to quote the verse. Uh, watching us, they're watching us mix up of translations. There's a great cloud of witnesses watching us from the grandstands of heaven and cheering us on. So there's sometimes, you know, I'm worshiping and it was like that this morning. I just felt that way. You are not alone. We are not alone. Hallelujah. But I could just, I just felt so aware of the body of Christ around the world and in heaven and us all worshiping him as one around the throne. I become so aware, I have a close friend. She said the same thing. She goes, I know I've become very aware of that, even in prayer. Because you know, sometimes you're praying about something or praying for someone and you feel very alone. You don't see anyone else around you praying. Maybe you're praying by yourself. And our feelings would say we're alone. Well, we know by faith we're not alone. We know what the word of God says, of course. But I become aware that I'm not alone when I'm praying alone. But we are connected as the body of Christ with those around the world of like precious faith. And I listen almost every day to our spiritual father, Kenneth Hagin. He, it feeds me, the way he teaches feeds me spiritually. And it's important to be fed spiritually. Can't find that everywhere. But anyway, what was I gonna say? Oh, I'll be sitting there listening to him, uh, usually in my car on the way to work or somewhere. And he'll be preaching and it's so good. And the glory of God floods my soul. And I've said this right out loud. <laughs> These are my people right here. You know how people say, These are my people? These people that believe like this, these people that love him like this, these people that hold on to the word of God like this, both on earth and in heaven, these are my people. And I like my people. I like those who dare to believe God. You know, Satan will come to distract all of us. He distracts us with various circumstances. We all have different hot buttons. What bothers one person doesn't bother another. Uh, what was a weakness for, for one of us is not the weakness for another. We are different. And Satan is, no, he's not wise, but he's crafty and he knows your hot button. 
And so he's going to try to push your hot button, whatever that is, to try to distract you. And we hear about that. What is he after? He's out for our faith. He's to distract us from our faith. He's trying to steal our faith. Well, how does he do that? Because we're so distracted. We're distracted and then we get so many distractions, we can begin to feel discouraged by all the distractions of life. And he's, he's tricky of when they come and how often and all that. But you know how he can't steal our faith? When we determine and we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We choose to say it. We choose to say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you know, we don't do that even by the determination or strong will of our minds because it's deeper than that. We declare those things with a spiritual initiative spiritual initiation from our heart we dig deep into our heart that part of us that we have put the Word of God into over time and then we dig deep into that place and we speak from that place I can do all things through Christ you infuse me some translation sing says he empowers us he infuses us Hallelujah. And so it, when we say those things, you know, we have today what we said about ourselves yesterday. So if you talk weakness and fear and doubt, you're going to have weakness and fear and doubt. But if you talk strength and you declare the word of God, then, oh, by and large, what happens? That spiritual strength rises up on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are my people. <laughs> we are his people. Those of us who say, you know what? We are going to stand. We're going to declare the word of God. We're going to walk in love. We're going to shout the victory. Hallelujah. So Jesus, you are worthy of it all. We give you praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's sing, let's sing that again, a little part of it. Maybe you are worthy of it all, that part. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Yes, you are worthy. For, For from you are all
as you do. You deserve the glory, Lord Jesus. We give you the glory and we give you all the honor and all the praise. Our hearts are filled with thankfulness. Our hearts are filled with gratitude for all that you have done, for all that you are doing and for all that you will do. Hallelujah. Thank you for it. Thank you, Lord. Strengthen each one in our church family with mighty power by your spirit in their inner man. We declare strength. We declare healing and miracles and peace and freedom. They are blessed. Walk in the blessing of God and in the favor of God. In Jesus' name, if you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, I'm not sure if the children even came in today, but in case any did, you are dismissed to your class. And then before you're seated, what's that? Oh, and the junior high as well are dismissed to their class today. And then um, why don't you turn around and just love on several people. Give them a warm welcome and God bless you. Tell them you're glad to see them. And after you've done that, well, then you may be seated. Hallelujah. Oh, for those of you who are worshiping with us online, we're glad that you're here. Amen. God is good. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, if you're worshiping with us today for the first time, we'll give you $1 million. <laughs> oh, I hope nobody. <laughs> anyway, um, it's good to be here, and if you are worshiping with us for the first time, that was a joke. And um, But there are Connect cards in the seat in front of you. If you'll fill one of those out and um, put it in the offering as it comes by today, communicate with us however you need on those cards, that would be great. Men, we're going to remind you that tomorrow night is men's ministry here at the church. And so the men arrive at 630 and the Bible study begins at 7 o'clock. Ladies, we had to make a change in our Bible study. It is not going to be Tuesday this week. It's going to be on Thursday. Something important didn't make it to my calendar, and so that's why that's the case. So ladies, we're going to meet. All the ladies say, this Thursday. Say, not Tuesday. Okay, and if somebody is not here today that you know that comes to that Bible study, if you would please let them know, we would appreciate that. It will be at 7 o'clock here at the church. Praise the Lord. We're going to give you an opportunity to give this morning. The ushers will come and serve you, and you can get your offering envelope there where you're seated. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. And as Pastor Mike has said over the years, many, many times, it's good to be able to give. Amen.
I remember times when he was in Bible school, he didn't have anything to give. I think he gave a button. Story, he, all he had was a button and he wanted to give something, so he gave a button. Praise the Lord. So it is good to be able to give something other than a button. Amen. Lord, we worship you with our tithes and with our offerings. We honor your name. We honor you with the first fruits, with our giving. We thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, after you've had the chance to give this morning, would you stand and worship with us again? Sing this out, our God. 
confession. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Notice the context that is set forth by Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost. This is talking about the sacrificial lamb. It's talking about the substitutionary work of Jesus being made a sacrifice for us. Now notice he says, he gives the reasons why Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Because he became a curse for us. And then he gives, in verse 14, he gives two reasons why Jesus redeemed us. One is that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now he's talking about both the receiving of the Holy Spirit at the new birth, but also the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And he also makes mention of the blessing of Abraham belonging to us. But tell me this, why would he mention the blessing of Abraham before the promise of the Spirit? It would seem to me that most church people 
would conclude that receiving the promise of the Spirit through faith is much more important than the blessing of Abraham. But that's not the way that he sets it out. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on us. Now, if we want to know what the blessing of Abraham is, we're going to have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all of his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Now, he's talking about the nation of Israel, but that's not who Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 3. He's talking about the blessing of Abraham coming on the Gentiles. The, the letter that he wrote to the Galatians identifies the, the majority of the church there in Galatia, the region of Galatia, are Gentile churches, Gentile people. So Paul, uh, so Moses goes on in verse 20, uh, chapter 28, verse 2 of Deuteronomy, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thy hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself as he has sworn unto thee. If thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Notice verse 12. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give rain unto the land, unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and shall not borrow." Notice that he's talking about the blessing of God coming from heaven. Now I'm going to take a little side journey here in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Through the prophet Malachi, God has some things to say to the people about the way that they're handling their affairs the things that they're putting first and foremost in their lives. Verse 10, he says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not room enough, be room enough to receive it. So Deuteronomy chapter 28 
verse 12 tells us that he will open his good treasure, the heaven, to bring about the blessing of Abraham for us. And here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he's telling us that he'll open the windows of heaven to us and pour us out a blessing. But what is that blessing? Isn't that blessing the blessing of Abraham? Isn't that what he's saying that he will carry out and bring to pass? Now, tithing is something that's kind of gone out, gone out of favor in a lot of places and with a lot of people. And for the most part, tithing has lost the battle to, to the COVID pandemic because during the time when the pandemic was at its strongest, People changed the way that they went to church. People changed the way that they held on to the things of God. Church-wide, I don't know what it's like overseas or if these same percentages would apply to them. But in America, church attendance on average has gone down by half. Church finances have decreased by half. Folks, there's never been a time where it's more important for you to know what you believe and to operate according to what you believe. So he says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Now here in verse 12, it's talking about the nation of Israel again. But remember, Christ has redeemed us by becoming the curse for us that we might receive the blessing of Abraham as Gentiles or as Paul said in talking about these things to the Romans, the true Israel. Paul said, in Romans chapter 5, that not all the people that claim to be Israelites are of Israel. He talks about the spiritual Israel and compares that with the physical Israel. And he's telling us that if we belong to Christ, if we've been made part of the family of God by making Jesus the Lord of our lives, that we become heirs or recipients of the blessing of Abraham. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We'll pick up with verse 12 where we looked at the other scriptures. 
The Lord shall open it unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thy hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only and not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So folks, when Paul says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, we kind of casually talk about the promises of God, but there really aren't too many promises of God left for us. What I mean by that is, for example, the Bible says Jesus promises that God would hear and answer our prayers just as he heard and answered his. And we might look at that as a promise. But in reality, since he told us how to pray, if we follow the directions and the instructions about prayer that he's given to us, and by that I mean specifically John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So when Jesus says that God will answer our prayer, he gave us the outline or the principles for praying to get answers. So that's really not a promise. It's a declaratory statement that he gives us instruction and the wherewithal on how to operate in prayer so that our prayers are answered. So here in Galatians chapter 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's a statement of fact. It's not accepted universally as a statement of fact. But it's very simply a statement of fact. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Let's see when he became our Passover and see how that fits in here. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of month. It shall be the month of the year to you. The first thing that we need to be aware of concerning the Passover work that Jesus did, the substitutionary work of Jesus, is that the Passover changed their calendars. The Passover created a new calendar for the Jews specifically to emphasize the importance of the work that Jesus did, the substitutionary work that he did that brought us into life. I want to just pick out some verses here. Verse 3, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month 
shall they take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Folks, the Passover meal was a family operation. It was not a national operation. It was something that was carried out by families, households. If the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 8, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire. His head with his legs and with the puritans thereof. And you shall let none, nothing of it remain until morning. And that which remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste for it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Notice that the Passover is the execution of, of justice. God's execution of judgment upon the gods of the, of the Egyptians. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be unto you or upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Notice it talks about plague. We know the angel of death passed through the nation of Egypt and every house that did not have the blood on the doorpost and the lentils suffered a terrible loss, the death of the firstborn. And this day shall, you, shall be unto you for a, a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord Almighty throughout the generations, and shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. This is something that God never wants them to turn loose of. This is something that God is identifying the importance of creating a memorial of these activities, of this work of God. It's something that's supposed to be kept first and foremost in their thinking. Now that word plague that we looked at in verse 13, that's a word that's used for sickness and disease. But folks, if God is using sickness and disease, to bring about the death of the firstborn in the houses that aren't covered by the blood, where does he get the sickness and disease to use? He's not the author or the creator of it. We know there's no sickness or disease in heaven. But there's another scripture in here further down in the chapter that I want you to see. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer. It's a personality. It's not a sickness or a disease. It's a personality. 
He will not suffer the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. Now, folks, the Bible says in Psalm 105, verse 37, talking about this Passover experience, he brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Now, the only thing that the Bible tells us about the eating of the lamb is that they were supposed to do it for strength for their journey. Strength for their journey. But what kind of strength is he talking about? Well, here in Psalm 105, verse 37, he brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Now, we know about how the silver and gold came about. In the very day of the Passover, he instructed the people to go to the Egyptians and borrow. King James says, uses the word borrow. It's really a demand. They went to their neighbors and demanded of them payment for the time that they were slaves to the nation of Egypt. So there was a specific action that took place. that brought about the spoiling of the Egyptians. But what about the, the rest of it when it says there was not one feeble among them? This word feeble is really interesting because it means weakness, basically. It means weakness. But specifically, it means to shuffle along. We've seen some people that as they age, their steps become shorter and shorter and it ends up being just a shuffling along. But this word feeble says specifically or means specifically that the that the strength that comes upon the uh, comes upon the Israelites does away with the shuffling of the feet, and they're also strengthened in such a degree that there is none that's left behind. Now, folks, with the millions of people that are leaving Egypt by the work of God's delivering power. It literally means that nobody will be left or nobody will be because of their frailty or lack of strength left behind in any way whatsoever. They won't slow up the crowd. He brought them forth with silver and gold, 
and there was not one feeble person among the tribe. Now, the way that this is identified, not one feeble person among the tribes, we would have to conclude that there was a nation of people that were healed. Now, the Bible doesn't clue us in specifically to this. But before the Passover takes place, everybody joins together with their families and they're not seen by others outside of their family for something like 24 hours. And in that 24-hour period, a change takes place throughout the nation of Israel. And when I say the nation, I'm not talking about boundaries, geographic boundaries. I'm talking about families. And a work takes place overnight in every one, every person. Not one person left out. But every person strong enough to make the journey so that none are left behind and none slow up the, uh, the progress of this mixed multitude that leaves Egypt. Now again, God is executing judgment upon the people or upon the gods of, e of Egypt. And as they depart from Egypt, Exodus 15 tells us about something that happens on their journey. They come to a place where the waters are bitter. Now there's um, two ways that you can look at that and the word itself doesn't really identify it as to what it means but the waters were either unpleasant for them to drink or else the water is poisonous And so they come to Moses and, and said, what, what are we going to drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when they had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Notice those words, statutes and ordinance. Anytime those words are used, it's God giving an eternal command And here he makes a, a statute and an ordinance, an eternal command. It'll never be broken. And it's always available for the children of God. And again, we have to be talking about the blessing of Abraham because that's what God's putting into effect here. And so God gives them this statute and ordinance and says to them, if thou wilt diligently hearken 
unto the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee which have come upon the Egyptians for I am the Lord that healeth thee. This word healeth is, if I remember my conjugating sentences, exercise in the English language, this word healeth is future perfect tense. And what that means is it applies in every way to any point in time. So for example, the children of Israel, they've come out of the bondage of Egypt They've been on the road for a couple of days and they come to this place where the waters can't be, can't be drunk. But when God shows Moses the tree, the waters are purified or cleansed so that whether it was just something that was unpleasant to taste, now they're able to taste it. Or if it was poisonous water, now the water is purified and made whole. But when he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, he's not just talking about the work that he's doing on the waters. He's the Lord that did away with every feeble person among their tribes. He did away with their weakness. He's the one that is strengthened. Every person of the Israelites. He says, I'm the one that did that. Now notice that the curing method for this cleansing of the water is a tree that represents the cross that Jesus died on. And let me refer you back to our opening scripture. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed everyone that hangeth on a tree. So the same tree that Jesus bore our sins upon is the tree that brought healing to the Israelites to the Passover and then purified the water so they could drink it. Now remember the things that we read in Exodus chapter 12 about how it was supposed to be a memorial, the Passover, the shedding of blood upon the doorposts and the lentils. That was something that was supposed to be kept in remembrance. But it wasn't. In 
Fast forward 700 years, Hezekiah becomes king of Israel. And he starts by having the scribes bring to him the books that were written and saved for the people of Israel. Hezekiah has these scribes read to him in his bedchamber. And he comes to the place where the Passover is talked about. He reads some of the same things that we've read this morning. And he sees that it's something that was supposed to be kept as an ordinance and a statute, as a memorial. And so he gathers together a council and they start working to reinstitute the Passover. He sends out, he being Hezekiah, sends out letters to all the tribes, inviting them to come to Jerusalem for the reinstitution of the Passover. But it doesn't turn out well. There are tribes and people among the Israelites that mock Hezekiah. They laugh him to scorn. But he just keeps encouraging people to come. Now, one of the problems they have with this is the time of year that Hezekiah becomes king and becomes aware of the, uh, the fact that the Passover has not been kept. None of the people, including Hezekiah, have ever witnessed the Passover. They didn't know what it was supposed to be, but they already identified that it was the wrong time of year. It would have been the second month of the year for them to reinstitute the Passover rather than wait for another year for the calendar to come around. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 18. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened unto Hezekiah and healed the people. Now, folks, there's two ways we can approach this. We can take what we know about the healing that took place when the Passover was began when it first was kept 
And we can take that and assume that Hezekiah would have known the same thing. Or we can take the position that Hezekiah didn't know about the healing of the people that took place. And remember, they were healed for the journey. Well, that didn't apply to Israel's condition 700 years later. Well, if that was the case, then it's such in the nature and the character of God to bring about healing for the people that it was something that they found out about the goodness of God and the place where healing keeps or is held by God himself. Now, I don't know which way for sure to take it. Either Hezekiah was expecting healing to come from what he had learned about the writing in the scripture, or he was surprised by the healing that took place. One thing we do know for sure is that the people weren't expecting anything. These tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, are the ones that the Bible tells us mocked Hezekiah when they first got the letters from him. But let's go on with the story here. Second Chronicles chapter 30. The Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. By the way, when it says he hearkened to Hezekiah, he didn't pray for their healing. The only thing he prayed for them is for God to pardon them because they were doing it wrong. They knew they were doing it wrong, but they couldn't fix everything in time to do it at the right time of the year. And it tells us that they kept on with the Feast of the Unleavened Bread for seven days. Verse 26, 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since for the time of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there was not like, not the like in Jerusalem. The keeping of the word brought back joy to their lives. Now let's push forward into the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he's telling what the elements, the bread and the wine, represent.
Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Well, what death is he talking about? He's talking about the substitutionary work of Jesus. He's not just talking about Jesus went to the cross. And it seems to me in modern days, we're so casual when we talk about the death of Jesus. It's as if we've already accepted that Jesus died for us and he died on the cross being crucified for us in our place, paying our penalty that we really don't take into account what all the death of Jesus being made a curse for us really entails. But as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, it doesn't say unworthy. Unworthy is a condition. Unworthily is an attitude. Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily with the wrong attitude shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Having the wrong attitude about the communion ritual brings the church back into the feeble condition. that was a part of the redemptive work of Jesus, part of the blessings of Abraham that was memorialized in the Lord's Passover. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The word sleep means premature death. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So Paul is telling them, and the Holy Ghost is telling us, that the unworthily attitude that's identified is not discerning the Lord's body. Now there's two Lord's body, or two ways the Lord's body can be used one is talking about the church as a whole. You remember Paul used the example of we're like, the church is like a body where each person has its own, per, own specific place and purpose. But the other way you can discern, talk about discerning the Lord's body is failing to recognize that he paid the price for our physical well-being. So whether it's talking about walking in love to fellow believers or it's talking about being aware and exercising your faith toward what the Lord did and how the Lord paid the price, the substitutionary price for us to walk in divine health.
that phrase that we read in First Second uh, Chronicles chapter thirty. I think it's verse twenty-six. I keep coming back to that. It changed the nation of Israel, and there was nothing like it since the days of Solomon, son of David, in Jerusalem. Folks, I think, you judge this for yourself, but based on the things that we've talked about and to talk about even further, communion ought to be a time that's recognized as a place or a time of great joy. We ought to have people healed every time we take communion. If the Lord hearkened unto Hezekiah and healed the people, why wouldn't he hearken unto us and heal the people? Now, I don't think the change needs to be made in the way that we take communion. But rather, the change should occur as a result of what we believe that communion with Christ should do. Now, this isn't the only way that healing can and will come. The Bible identifies several different ways for the church to be healed. But if we're showing the Lord's death, which is what we're supposed to keep as a memorial, then why, through our activity, our receiving the bread and the juice as representative of the body and the blood of Jesus, why shouldn't that carry just as much weight with God as it did for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Paul seems to be alluding to the fact that receiving the Lord's Supper or the communion is and should be a time of great joy. So that there was nothing like it in, in Jerusalem since Solomon, the son of David, became king. Now remember, Solomon was the one that built the temple. He's the one that when the temple was dedicated, the Bible tells us the power of the Lord filled the building and the priest couldn't stand to minister because of the weightiness of the presence of God. 
Well, we're the temple of God. So why couldn't we expect the same results? I believe we can. I certainly don't see anything in the Bible that prohibits it. Well, let's receive communion this morning. Paul receives a special dispensation by Jesus himself so if Jesus is the one that gave these instructions and Paul passed them on to us 
passed them on to the Corinthians, and the Holy Ghost saved them for us, then let's go through what he said about it. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let's say it this way. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup with the wrong attitude shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation and condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many die prematurely. So we want to make sure we have the right attitude as we partake of this Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us that Jesus was beaten in Pilate's court and that he paid a horrible price. So that you and I could walk free from sickness and disease. This bread represents the beating that Jesus took willingly, the price that he paid willingly to provide healing for the rest of us. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. This represents the stripes of Jesus, the payment for freedom from sickness and disease. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that reveals to us that Jesus paid a price for our physical well-being. So, Father, we take this in faith, believing that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by being a curse for us. So, Father, as we take this bread, we take healing into our bodies. From the top of our heads to the soles of our feet, we declare that we are redeemed from sickness and disease and that we walk in divine health. Let's receive the bread. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus, which was shed for our sakes, only for our sakes. And we thank you, Father, that the precious blood of Jesus 
has recreated us and brought us into the family of God. This juice represents our righteousness, Father. And we thank you that our righteousness is of you. Lord Jesus, we do remember your death, the awful price that you paid for us to be reborn, righteous in your eyes, righteous before our Father. So Father, as we drink this cup, we receive the righteousness that your blood has brought into being. Let's receive the cup. Let's all stand and just lift our hands and thank God for all that he's done for us. If you're sick in your body in any way whatsoever, you thank him for healing you. We worship you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the body and the blood of Jesus. We declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that we're made righteous by his blood. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Lord, just as you hearkened unto Hezekiah and healed the people, we thank you for hearkening unto us and for healing our people. We count it done in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go rejoicing.